What is crackalacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli, coming at you without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Prommel, once again. I am, however, and as always, super pleased and excited to be joined by good friend and longtime co-worker of Bleacher Report, Grant Hughes. Does a fantastic job covering the NBA. Check out his work over at Bleach Report. Follow him on Twitter at GT underscore Hughes. He's back for a second podcast this week. We decided to tackle the biggest questions facing eliminated NBA playoff teams, part two. This time around, we will have the Memphis Grizzlies, Milwaukee Bucks, Phoenix, Phoenix Suns, and Philadelphia 76ers. It's a good time. I hope you check it out. A quick reminder, please, please, pretty please, Rate and review us wherever you are getting your podcast. And even if you're not using iTunes or Spotify, please head over there, throw us ratings and reviews. Those really do help out a ton. They've stagnated in recent weeks. So help us out, head over there. If this is your first time checking us out because you're really interested in these teams or you stumbled here at random, maybe you're a religious follower of all of Grant Hughes' work, please consider throwing us that permanent subscription. We do a really thorough job here covering the NBA. At least we try to. We have a lot of fun as well. You won't regret it if you subscribe and download every episode. Trust me. Get at us on the socials. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. Hardwood Knox is at Hardwood Knox. We are on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. Go to YouTube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will come up. Our handle on Instagram is at Hardwood underscore Knox. And on TikTok, it's just at Hardwood Knox. I do post organic content on YouTube IG, and TikTok. So there are reasons to follow us there. And finally, join our Discord. The links to Discord are in the podcast description. All the links to the socials, to anything that you need are also in the podcast description as well. So please, again, just to reiterate, subscribe to us, rate us, review us, help us get the word out as well if you've done all those things. Retweet our promos on Twitter, tell friends, family members, acquaintances, coworkers, random people on the internet who you think might like basketball about us. Any little help goes a long way towards us continuing to build this community as we head into what will be a very busy offseason. I'm done rambling now. Let's get to some offseason talk for specifically the Grizzlies, the Bucks, the Suns, and the Sixers with Bleacher Report's Grant Hughes. And don't forget to check out our previous installments of this exercise. We did the the biggest questions facing all the NBA playoff teams that were eliminated in the first round with Keith Smith from Spotrack. You can find that in, I think it's in the podcast description, but if the hyperlink doesn't work on your medium, go check out our feed. And we also did this for the Eastern Conference lottery teams as well. The Western Conference lottery teams will be up on Monday, May 22nd or Tuesday, May 23rd. I'm not even sure if those dates are right, but it'll be Monday or Tuesday of next week. That's enough for me. Let's get the Bleacher Reports Grant Hughes. Grant, welcome back yet again. Second appearance this week. Love recording a back-to-back with Mr. Grant Hughes of Bleacher Report. How are you doing since the 30 seconds ago when we when we last spoke? Oh, so much better. And also so much worse because we just talked about a bunch of teams that won games and are still alive, and now we're going to talk about some losers. Yeah, we are here to get into our biggest question. We've done it for the eliminated teams in the first round. We have to do it for the eliminated teams in the second round. Our biggest questions for every team that was bounced um, during the, the semifinals, where did you want to go? I will let you pick of the four teams where you want to start. Well, first of all, of the four, at least three are incredibly interesting. Um, but I'm going to go alphabetical because I believe in order and organization. And so you we're going to start with, you know, that's like my, my weak point too, is the alphabet. Terrible. You got alphabetized. <laughs> well, we have botched the alphabet on record several times. <laughs> So yeah, actually, as I was saying that, I was thinking to myself, so does Memphis come before Milwaukee? Am I 100% <laughs> sure on that? 
<laughs> even if it doesn't, we're going to go with that. We're going to do the Grizzlies. I think, I think the Grizzlies are a super interesting offseason team. I was going to say that they probably had the least interesting offseason ahead of them, though, though. No? Well, it's all about the potential. So I think – so my, my big offseason kind of question that is, is will they take their shot? Because they can be among the very few teams – there's a half dozen, I think, depending on what Portland does – that have, like, consequential cap space. Um, it would have to come at the – it would only be about $20 million and it would have to come at the cost – of Kyle Anderson and Tyus Jones not coming back. Mm. So that might be where the conversation ends. That'll probably be where the conversation ends. Cause I think at least in the case of Jones, I mean, he showed, he showed enough that you probably need to bring him back and hope that you can beat the market for him. Cause he's going to be in demand. Um, but so they've got that potential of clear 20 million. They've got a couple firsts in this draft. They've got eight in the next seven. They've got the full MLE. They've got the biannual, a trade exception worth about 4 million. And so they just have these options, right? Like if you want to package a star, you know, a, a non, I'm sorry, not a star, but if you want to take Steven Adams or Dylan Brooks, both of whom will be on expiring deals next year, throw them in with a, one of those picks in a trade for a player making more to come back. You can do that because you're going to have that 20 million in space. You can have an unbalanced trade. So you can sort of star hunt. You can get like even more creative with sign and trades for some restricted guys. I don't think DeAndre Ayton necessarily is a fit or really is plausible. Miles Bridges is probably a little too rich, but I just think they have these options, right? And and they have to kind of look closely at 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 what they might be able to do this offseason, which sucks because there's not a lot of talent available this year. Uh, because once Morant signs the full max, which he will, that'll be another thing that happens this offseason you basically like next off season, you're not really going to be able to do too much unless you figure out a way to trim money elsewhere or don't bring Adams or Brooks back. I don't know. But so this is kind of a pivot point for the Grizzlies. I think they should just kind of run it back, bring Jones back, even Anderson. Um, they can extend Jones. I think I had it written down. They can go four years for 55.8 million. If they do it before June 30th, just keep them off the table entirely. That's going to beat, you know, mid-level exception offers he could get from other teams. So that's at least a competitive offer. They may just do that. I think that's, that's fine, but I do just, I am intrigued because maybe they think they're one more star away and they could kind of swing for one to the extent that one is available in, in kind of a, a weak market. I would be with you on that question as well is just what does this team need was basically what do they actually need to take the next step and are they willing to go after it or are they just going to bank on internal development getting them there uh but you just finished with the second best record in the west i think that the grizzlies after doubting them the past three seasons i think they'll be back but you can't take anything for granted in the west either the nuggets and the clippers should be healthier this season what if the next season excuse me the Pelicans are coming. They're going to they get Zion Williamson back to a team that really pushed Phoenix in the the first round. What if the Lakers don't suck? You know, Portland might make some big like there are just wild cards peppered through. Yeah, Utah could blow it up, fine. There are just wild cards peppered throughout the West where you can't I think just say, "Okay, well Zion Williams is going to be another year better. We have Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr. really got it together. We'll bring back Tyus, we'll bring back Kyle Anderson, uh and we'll be fine and we'll be right back in the top 4 of the West." and maybe even higher. I just don't think they can bank on that. You would really have to believe, because I don't know how much better is Desmond Bain going to get. He was their like most important player for pretty much the entire postseason. Uh, Jared Jackson Jr. is fantastic. They still feel one significant player short 
Is that player Zaire Williams? It does feel like that player needs to be. And that's where they run into the issue with free agency is why it might not be the most effective use of their resources, that it needs to be another creator type. Half court, put the ball on the floor. You're asking a little bit too much of Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. It definitely should not be Dylan Brooks on a game-to-game basis to do that after a um, at, like after John Morant or if he's not on the floor or if he's just having an off night or if teams are really throwing the kitchen sink at him. So that player isn't available on the market. I think Zach Levine would be a fantastic fit. We've also reached a point where it's any of those transactions feel like they're going to happen through sign and trade anyway. So I do, I'm with you where I think it's very important to bring back at least Tyus Jones, if not Kyle Anderson as well. Uh, did any names spring to mind to you when you were thinking about if they were going to take this swing? Because look, they can do it without prioritizing cash space. You laid out their assets. They have a bunch of middle rung deals. And this is a team where it's, I would say your three most important players moving forward are Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant. I don't think you need to put any of those three on the table to go after who realistically might be available this time. You're not giving up any of them for if it was a Zach Levine sign and trade or if it was a Beal sign and trade. And yes, I know those players need to want to play in Memphis, yada, yada, yada. But like that's the move that would be uncharacteristic of the Grizzlies, but it's the one that they are built to make. And I think you can, if you're the Grizzlies, talk yourself into making because of just where you were this season. Yeah, that's where this gets, you know, when you when you try to take it from the hypothetical, well, they've got these options. So like practically, what what should they do? What could they do? There just isn't that guy that that I think, you know, like someone like a Jalen Brown, I think I feel like he's been rumored, you know, as not not as like someone that could happen, but like that, that's a fit, right? Celtics aren't going to trade Jalen Brown for, you know, a couple firsts and DeAnthony Melton. Like that's not, it's not going to happen. Um, I think you could, if, if, if Jer- like Jeremy Grant would be potential, but I don't, I don't know like how much better he, yeah. yeah, right. It's not what they need. So I, I think, I think you bank on organic growth. I think it, like, ideally you just want someone that has Dylan Brooks's frame that doesn't have his shot selection and then like can pass a little bit and you're good. But like, who is that? I, I don't know. I think, I think Williams getting better is a huge like path forward for them. Um, and, but yeah, so it's, it's <laughs> maybe they fall last on my list of like most intriguing because all of their intrigue is potential and, and hypothetical and not like really grounded in, oh, they're, they totally could go get this guy. I don't, I don't have that guy. I think they're more likely to do, and this wouldn't not make them better. Like they're the team that they'll run it back and they get, they trade for Alec Burks or they mm. trade for Kenrich Williams. And I'm not, you know, if you get more improvement from Zaire Williams, you can't talk me out of the fact that they, there's a chance they might be significantly better. Just with an Alec Burks type on this team, I'm not saying he's the guy, but someone who's semi-comfortable creating his own shot, doesn't always need the ball in his hands. That adds another dynamic to their offense. He's probably a little bit smaller than you'd want, but like those, you know, those just super strength, like power wings, whatever you want to call them, they don't grow on trees. Um, but I would fully expect Memphis to, what whatever we're talking about, I would argue they're going to do less than like yes of that. I don't think they're going to do the bare minimum. They're too good. I think they're too good to be like, let's just run it back. Like there needs to be, I think like some material change here, but I think it's going to be on the, the sub middle end of the spectrum. Yeah, I agree. Next team, if we're going alphabetically would be who? No, oh, why have to put me on the spot? It's too hard. Yeah. <laughs> Milwaukee's Milwaukee's next. They're they're uh, of the four. They're the least interesting. Um, I just think because like we might not even be talking about them if Chris Middleton had just been healthy, they would still be playing potentially. I mean, they, they went to seven without their, I think their second best, obviously their second best offensive player, their third most important player. 
Um, so I, having said that, I think his absence did expose what they need. And that's just another playmaker. If it's a two-way wing, awesome. If it's just someone else that can pierce the defense, score, or find someone open, I think that's what it takes. Because we saw, you know, Drew Holiday, I think, did the right thing against Boston, and he took a lot more shots than he normally would. I think you could almost, you could see him realizing, this is a bad shot, but I have to take it because we don't have anyone else that's going to, you know, get something markedly better than this at this point in the shot clock or whatever. And, And if Giannis is off the floor, just forget it. So I think they have to, and you know, not a lot of resources. Uh, they they've got to upgrade the George Hill spot. If so, if that playmaker is another backup point guard, great. Um, but they just need someone else to create shots. I think in that offense, because um, Giannis Giannis is phenomenal. Sometimes that's all it takes. But against the best defenses, and Boston was like the best defense. Um, you just need that one more guy. And I, even if Middleton's back, I still think that's a need for them. Right. I think we kind of saw people are probably too down on Grayson Allen in the sense that what did you expect Grayson Allen to be? It's not right. that player. It's not going to be George Hill. I thought Javon Carter should have gotten more run towards the end, but it wasn't for like the shot making element of it. And I don't really know how you go out and get that advantage creator uh, because they have no money to work with. Like you're going to have the mini mid level is going to be their best spending tool. And Hey, um, are they going to, are they going to spend it? Because you have Pat Connaughton as a player option and Bobby Portis as a player option. I would expect both of them to decline theirs. Uh, Pat Connaughton, the way he closed the postseason and how important he was in Milwaukee, he should absolutely decline his, his player option. Are you going to pay to keep those guys? Are we talking about a team that's actually shallower? And so that was my question of just like, what are they willing to do to improve this team? But I also, my other question was like, how much do they need the, uh, I saw like a lot of, oh, if they didn't get rid of PJ Tucker, maybe that series plays out differently. I know offense was their problem. I actually don't disagree with the take because of, the Giannis, like those lineups where Giannis is your primary big, so to speak, without Porters or Brooke Lopez on the court, I still think those give you the best chance to just steamroll everybody else. You didn't have the guy, especially without Middleton, to kind of fill that spot to make that lineup make so much sense. Whereas P.J. Tucker would have given you that. Can you go out and like, imagine if they were able to sign like an Otto Porter in free agency. That's someone who opens up more time for those lineup combinations. And it's interesting. I'm just curious to see what they prioritize versus talent retention because there's Bobby Portis and Pat Connaughton hitting free agency. And then there's also just, it doesn't have to be either or when you're talking about the limited amount of resources that you have, it almost is either or where they, do they need someone who can unlock um, their most versatile lineups or do they need more of that creator? Because at the end of the day, we also could say, yes, I know Chris Middleton was injured, but you have drew Middleton and Giannis to have to prioritize another that offensive creator seems almost excessive, but injuries crop up. And we know that you know, when things slow down, like drew holiday, you probably want Chris Middleton going through the, the, the half court motions a little bit more than, um, than drew holiday. And I know what I agree with what you said about holiday, maybe not wanting to take those shots, but he could have toned down the, the early shot clock <laughs> contested jumpers uh, that I will, I will die on that Hill. No, you're not wrong. Uh, just like a couple housekeeping things because I, I was looking while you're talking. So uh, con- they got bird rights on Connaughton. So if it like they can pay, you know, they can beat the market if, if they need to. The question is, will they or obviously because, you know, it's Milwaukee um, and they're very, very much committed to high dollars to their three best players. Portis, I think uh, he's got a player option. You're totally right. He's going to decline that, but he can come back. They can pay him basically two years for 
uh, $22.5 million. So that's right around mid-level exception money. I don't think Portis is going to get more than that from anybody else. Um, so I think both should be back. Um, one guy, just this is kind of like a, I don't know, fanciful idea, but uh, you know they don't have a lot of resources. This may be a minimums you know, type of thing or at the most the taxpayer mid-level if they even choose to spend that. But someone, you're going to laugh, someone like Ricky Rubio, distressed asset coming off a major injury. Um, I, I was looking at sort of his profile in his like 30 or so games with Cleveland this year um, of guys that drove at least 12 times a game, his assist rate, there aren't that many of those guys, you know, there's 20 or 30. Um, his assist rates like top five. So if you just want a guy to get in the lane and find somebody open, which is sort of what you got to do for your secondary scoring with the Bucks, because they're just going to keep employing guys like Wes Matthews and Grayson Allen that are going to be catch and shoot types. I think Rubio or a Rubio type that can just get into the defense and move the ball. You could get that guy pretty cheap. Um, so, and honestly, I think Rubio is an upgrade over George Hill. Like the idea of George Hill has always been great, but I, I would, again, he played 76 minutes against the Celtics scored five points and had three assists. Like, just nothing. So you need more than nothing from your backup point guard, even on a team with all the creators you mentioned, uh, the high end creators you mentioned, um, they just need more than that. So Rubio, just take your, your veteran free agent point guard that can get into the lane and, and find a shooter, like pick, take your pick, like that type of guy I think is gettable, um, for the minimum. Yeah. Coming off the ACL injury for sure. I thought about the two names that's prone to mind for me were, and I don't know this. And by the way, with Connaughton and Portis, it wasn't, I'm, they can keep them. I'm just, they're at, they're into yeah. the tax without those guys on the books. They're below the apron, but into the tax. I'm just curious what their, um, you know, break number is there. I thought about, and I don't know if these guys will be too expensive for what the Bucks to spend, but like a Delon Wright or even yep. a Dennis Schroeder at this point, two very different players, obviously, but Dennis Schroeder will get you into the lane. Are either of those guys going to fall into the mini level territory? And before anyone laughs, like most of the teams, if you're not a cap space team, like there are a lot of teams that are only going to be working with part of the MLE or the mini MLE. Like there's even the full MLE is not just available in like this huge supply. And I don't know if either of those two, you know, Atlanta should probably keep Delon right, but I just don't know how I, this market is, is unlike any other I can remember in free agency to where if you told me that Delon Wright signed for the mini MLE, I wouldn't be shocked. No, De- Delon Wright is someone that I, I am like, whenever I'm doing work that requires me to think of like, who's like an on the quote unquote on the cheap guy that could really help a team. He always comes up and he's going to constantly come up because he, you know, he can guard three positions and he's kind of a point guard and he's a good enough three point shooter that he fits everywhere. I mean, he would be a, forget Rubio. If, if, if the bucks could somehow fit him into that, you know, 6.4 ish million taxpayer slot and are willing to do that. Um, he would be a huge upgrade over Hill. Yeah. I mean, it might be hard to find like someone who isn't an upgrade over it. <laughs> we, we, we've been rough on old George on this one. We should, we should leave him alone. I'm just, I also wonder, do they decide like maybe this can be done via trade, but they just, they don't have the pick equity to get it done, even though they do have some of the middle rung salaries. When you look at uh, George Hill is 4 million next year, Grayson Allen is 9.4. Um, I'm assuming that their top four guys are just going to be off the table. Um, and that includes Brooke Lopez, although maybe they'd be more open to try. If you're bringing back Portis, do you think that, I mean, Brooke was huge for them at points during the postseason after he came back from his, his back injury. They're just, they're even independent of the knees we're talking about. They're just so, so shallow to where it's, they almost, to me, you can't let Pat Connaughton leave. Like you need to bring him yeah. back. I would probably mean you need to bring Bobby Portis back as well. 
And then it's like, Wes Matthews is kind of just floating around out there. No, you don't want him playing 80 minutes a game again. But he was incredibly important to what they were doing by the end of the season. And he's going to be a free agent. I couldn't, I mean, maybe we're misreading these guys too, because Wes Matthews didn't have a team to start the year. Then he finished as yeah. probably like the Bucks's like third or fourth or f- like fourth most important player with the Middleton injury in that final series. It's really hard to judge Matthews on the Boston series, but there were a lot of moments where like the second he put the ball on the floor, it was just like, well, this has become a bad possession because he's not going to finish and he can't, he's not going to do anything productive if he's not just catching and shooting. Um, They need like the 31 year old version of Wes Matthews. That that's, that's the guy they need those, but those guys are, Oh, that's a three and D wing that, (laughs) so everybody needs one of those. And any of the dreams is like, Oh, maybe we can get Rocco for the mini MLE out the window because he extended this free agency. Yep. Class, it's going to be, it's going to be rough. Milwaukee in the bag. That brings us to, if we're going alphabetically, Grant, who? Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. Cause okay, PHI yo. is before PHO. I'm three for three. <laughs> Look out. Um, what do they do with James Harden's contract? Like that's, that's my big question. Like that's, that should be the only, I, I, I don't know <laughs> what, what matters more for the long-term and short-term future of this team. Um, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but I am bearish on James Harden's future as a productive and helpful component of a winning NBA operation, uh, both because of his encore play and his just long history of not giving a shit and not being happy or trying hard on teams that he gets himself traded to. Uh, so the options are, uh, he can opt out, sign a five year, 270 ish million dollar deal. He can opt into his forty-seven-ish million-dollar uh, salary for next year and extend for four over two or two twenty-three over four years, uh, or he can sign for less than that. Um, what the Sixers do, uh, how much less than that they can retain James Harden for? Because I think they sort of have to keep him. Um, that that's that's the make-or-break thing for me. Um, I just don't under no circumstances can they do the five two seventy, and under no circumstances can they pay him the max over four years. Like I just like, not even close, not even close. I don't care how pot committed they are. Um, they got to get that number down. And if his move is to say I'm opting in and leaving fine. Like that, that to me is preferable to paying him the max over like any multi-year scenario. Yeah, um, I will say Daryl Morey did call James Harden basketball Jesus. So if there's someone in the league who might give him the full yeah. boat, it could potentially be Daryl Morey. Yep. He's the only guy, by the way. He's the only guy that would do it. Is there, like, so we know James Harden has to stay. Is there a preferable, the or rather, what's the most preferable outcome for the Sixers at this stage? Is it he's willing to, he opts out? And then it's sort of the Chris Paul situation where he's guaranteeing himself more money over the longer term, but he's signing at a per year annual rate noticeably low uh, below his max. Is it him just opting in and you extend him lower off that number? Is it him just opting in as an expiring contract saying, we come back to the table next year when we see how those hamstrings are, how you look. Um, And there's obviously the alternative is just like, is it just a, you know, a shorter term where it's not even the Chris Paul, where it's you walk away and it's like it's it's in between the max and something egregious, where you're still paying him a bullet or or a shorter term deal, even where the salary is inflated, but there's the shorter term commitment there. So for me, I, I don't know if he gets there. I guess you would technically have to opt out to do this. 
if I'm the Sixers and I'm not Daryl Morey, first of all, if I'm the Sixers and I'm not Daryl Morey, I don't have James Harden on my team to start with. But if if that's the situation I'm in, I want him to opt out and I'm going to push an offer across the table that's like three for 90 and there's partial guarantees on the third year. And if that's, and even that is just like, feels like it might be too much, honestly, with the trajectory that he's on. Um, but that's, that's about where I'd stop. And, and if his response is I'm going to take my 47 million and I'm pretty confident I can go somewhere else and find 43 over the next couple of years. Um, so I'm not going to sign this then fine. Um, he's going to risk getting way less than that if he continues to perform poorly and, you know, not be in good shape and quit in big moments. Like this is all, this is all in the record now. It's all, it's a lengthening track record of what's been happening with him. So I I don't know how much confidence realistically he should have that he can do better than, you know, a three for 90 ish type of deal, even with the partial guarantees, or you can put escalators on it if you want. Like if he plays X, you know, if they reach X round of the playoffs or if, it has he to be tied to his average in or performance in elimination games. That's what the that's what the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's got to have at least a thirty percent usage and a sixty percent true shooting in any elimination games they play to collect a, a penny. That's what I would do. I think um, to wrap this up because I knew you were going to pick this question since it needs to be the question. I didn't pick this question. I think I would prefer if there was a way or not a way if he's opting out and you're restructuring the entire deal on a lower per year number to where you might be immediately. Can you open up? Is it easier to open up the full uh, mid-level exception, have the BAE as well? Maybe that still involves moving Tobias Harris and breaking up that contract. There's also been floated that Daryl Moore, Daryl Moore is going to go star hunting again. And in theory, you haven't traded away all your picks and you do have that Tobias Harris salary. That's just what leads me to my next question. You are obliterating any chance you have at functional depth at that point. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see how they flesh out the rest of this roster, uh, not receiving two things that are probably not received or a bunch of things. I know we talked about how they lost Andre Drummond in that Harden trade, and he was really good for them. Look at what the backup center position became. How much are you still going to invest in that? I guess Andre Drummond's proof you could find quality backup five minutes on the cheap. Okay, fine. Danny Green just tore his ACL. And now I have to assume that they're going to waive uh, his non-guaranteed contract. He was the only three and D wing on the roster. Matisse Thybul might be the most overrated player in the NBA right now. And maybe he's not because I think we saw how much the Sixers understand that he can't give you anything on offense. I personally think he's marginalized even further on a team where when you play around James Harden and even Joel B to some extent, like you're not looking at all this off ball movement and very, mm-hmm. everything is very much happening on the ball or in the direct action. That's not to say, I guess you can't sprinkle things in, is Doc Rivers the coach to do that? That's another issue. Um, you lost Seth Curry, super important to the way your offense was functioning. You still have Tyrese Maxey, but like, where are you allocating your best spending tool? Whether that ends up being the the bigger MLE or is it the mini MLE? Can is this even a situation where you can afford to give one? Like, could you give the middle exception to one player, or do you so desperately need to maybe break that up somehow? If it's the mini mid level, that's just it's a non starter. But if it's the bigger one, um, you know, how are you spending that? And what is your biggest need? Because we could talk about how it's stupid to invest any sort of equity in a backup big when you have Joel Embiid. He's going to miss time. He's going to miss time. And so if you had the opportunity to get a Chris Boucher and it costs you your a chunk of the bigger mid-level or all of your cat, like, is that something that you could instantly say no to? I'm just very curious to see how they flesh out the rest of their roster on the margins. I'm not saying they can't do it well because there are some 
like again, the getting Andre Drummond last year is good proof of that. They have everyone loves B ball Paul, who's there right now, except for Doc Rivers, apparently. And then even Maxi, <laughs> like getting him so low in the draft. This like this front office or this team has shown that it can hit in certain instances, but they're just unless you restructure Harden's pay rate or you have just something like an ace in the sleeves, they just feel like they're they're so strapped in what they're gonna be able to do versus the number of things that they they need to do. Yeah, that's the thing. The guys they go get need to do multiple, like need to cover a lot of bases, right? Because of their no three and D wings. They need they don't have quality backup depth up front, which they're they need both, obviously. Like so just looking around, and look, these are gonna be minimum type guys, but like Juan Toscano Anderson can kind of guard five positions, can kind of be your super small center, has hit threes occasionally. That's a suspect part, but he's going to give you the defense and you might also be able to like shoehorn him in for like eight minutes a game at center if, if you had to. I, I, maybe not in a playoff series, I don't know, or maybe in a playoff series when things downsize. Um, like, are you going to go, it's like, let's see if Joe Ingles is going to be okay for like the last four months of next season. Could he help us on the minimum? I don't, like, they're going to really have to do some scraping because – they, they just, there's a lot of holes. They're, they're not deep at all. They, they've got just a lot of guys. Tybalt's a perfect example of he's fine in the regular season, I think, or useful. You can find uses, but in the playoffs, like I, I think that's someone they should look to trade. See if there's a team out there that's young, that that is, you know, an OKC or like a Detroit or whatever, that's like, well, we'll teach this guy to shoot. We'll just take the potential and give you back someone who's like slightly more useful in a situation where you have to be able to do more than just like play off ball defense. Like there's there, there, there are some ways to do it, but it's going to be tough. They should be an Amir coffee team. He was quietly really good for the Clippers. And I thought about Nick Batum also from the Clippers said he wanted to play with Joel Embiid. And I'm just, there seems to be like some quid pro quo there based off what Nick Batum resigned for. Like, and now they have his early bird rights. They can pay him, but they did just, they got Norman Powell, PG and Kawhi. You extend Roco. Do you need, Nick Batum as much. I mean, maybe if you're playing a movie, Marcus Morris, that's someone who I think would help the Sixers a bunch as well. But I'm truly, I'm fascinated by this offseason because of there's so much they need to do that I don't even know how they come. And the Danny Green injury, I think, just throws them completely off tilt because that was a spot where you could be like, hey, we guarantee him at his $10 million salary. And at least we know what Danny Green brings. That That is gone. That's just gone. Well, next year at this time, when we're talking about what 36-year-old Wes Matthews did for the Sixers, uh, we'll, we'll know how, how this offseason We went. might also be talking about Joel Embiid's trade request at that point. Our, we very well might. Our final team, the Phoenix Suns, being dragged through the mud right now as we record this. And rightfully so, for the most part. I'm not a big fan of one series or one game referendums. Um, I think Patrick Beverly needs to shut the fuck up. I cannot stand that guy. But Phoenix has some wholesale questions to ask itself. What is a question about Phoenix that you have during the off season? First of all, I totally agree that like, this is, you got to stay, you can't get crazy emotional after a series like that as bad as it looked. And is like, especially with just the way the game seven went. Um, I think the biggest, but that said, the biggest oh, no. question is what do you, what do you do? Yeah, destroy and yeah, scorched earth trade, trade Devin Booker for picks and start all over. Um, I, I think they got to figure out what to do with Aiton, right? Like, I, I think, you know, they didn't max him when they had the chance. In hindsight, I think that was probably the right decision. Just from my perspective, I can't max my fourth best player, um, especially if he's a non-superstar that plays center. Like, Aiton's really good. And I think he's shown that he can be really good as a center in the playoffs. Like, it has worked. They made the finals last year, and a lot of it was because he 
can survive against small ball against space. Like that's he he's and he's young still and he's you know there's he, it's just crazy. I was gonna say also part of that he can and I was very DeAndre Ayton is matchup proof. Some of that sort of fell by the way. <laughs> that Dallas yes, series. That's why I said last year <laughs> he's proved <laughs> in the past. He has also not proved in the recent past that he can. Have. But so I can't max him. They have a ton of leverage. He's probably already pissed off. He's didn't he didn't outright say that after not getting the preseason max extension. But I mean, wouldn't you be like I I, I can understand if he was. Monty Williams um, is done with him. I think he met in one of the interview clips I saw. He mentioned guys who like need to step up as the secondary creators, and he was like he named like everyone, including Andrew Shamit, but not DeAndre <laughs> Ayton. And it, it felt well, like a very much oh, so Ayton is just gone type of moment. <laughs> But that's the thing. He can't be. You can't just, you gotta, you gotta, here's the, it's a two step process. You exercise your, the leverage afforded you by restricted free agency. Let him do not max and don't do the five 177 max, like under no circumstances. Can't do it. Even the four one thirty. I think it's four for 131 is the four year one that they can make. Uh, or that's, that's what other teams can give him, which obviously the Suns can match. I think the Suns should hope that nobody does that. There's a decent chance that that, that Aiton is not going to get that offer because. Like, yeah, I guess, you know, uh, Orlando's not doing it. Memphis can't do it. Portland probably isn't going to have the cap space that they project to. Detroit's a threat. The Spurs, I guess, Indiana. There's three teams that can kind of screw with with the whole eight and sun situation. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but I think the hope should be he doesn't get that monster offer. You match it probably if, if he does. And then you hope you can keep him for like four years, a hundred million. And he'll be upset, but maybe he already is. Uh, he'd be tradable on that contract down the line. I think it's still a positive value deal. So there's really no like clean solution to this, especially if, as if Williams is just done with Aiden or if Aiden is done with the Suns and this is not salvageable, but I think you kind of play hardball, assuming he's already pissed off and just who cares? We're going to make him angrier. Um, just to get him at a reasonable number that you could trade him later if you do want to break this thing up, at least as far as he's concerned. I think that's kind of the top priority for the Suns. I mean, and it should be. I My question is similar just in the sense, like, do they have the, one, the assets, but two, the gall to go out and make, I think there needs to be a big move here. And it's an, I think, I was very much an advocate of, and I don't know how realistic it was, that they should have went out and gotten Eric Gordon at the trade deadline. I thought he was the player that they were missing. I think now you could point to other holes in their roster, for sure. But you also do have to question, oh, my Eric Gordon assumption was that Chris Paul can be your second-best offensive player. Can Chris Paul still be your second-best offensive player? When it met in the higher leverage moments of the postseason, I don't know the answer to that after watching the – and I, I know he was – He's dealing with an injury. I get it. He's 37. That has to be part of the calculus. And so now you've gone to where I don't know that an Eric Gordon, yes, it helps. He helps, excuse me. But I think you need someone higher end than that. Do you have the firepower to get that? Do you also have the gall to say, okay, looking at this roster, Booker, CP3 not going anywhere, that might need to be the limit. And that's coming from a Mikael Bridges truth. I would keep him personally. But like to go out and get the third creator that you need, if it costs Mikael Bridges – that might not be able to be a deal breaker anymore. I was also wondering, can a DeAndre Ayton sign and trade even get you that type of player? We don't normally see that being given up, you know, bigs for, and I, look, I think you could say that it needs to be a wing because Jay Crowder and Mikael Bridges and just like the, Booker's not small for his size, but like Booker is 
average for his position, CP3 small for his position. You need like the the bigger creator. And that's why Pascal Siakam was such a popular, like if they were going to go all in on a trade like 18 months ago or when people thought Pascal Siakam was going to be traded, I can't find the player who would be available. The, the theory that I bounced around in my head was if Indiana's really looking to get younger, is there something there with, it has to be sort of a mega deal, but like Miles Turner and Brogdon, and then you're building it out from Aiton, Cam Johnson, part of that equation. Do the Suns like Brogdon enough? Does, does Brogdon even give you enough of what you're looking for? He's not bigger. So that's why I think it's an imperfect, he's bigger for a point guard. And I think he would help, but is that, I just don't see, I think they very much need to be open to making this huge move. I don't see the vision of what the huge move is, though, based on what the trade market projects to be. Yeah, I, I think I, I I don't disagree. I think to flip it and go to come at it from another angle, I think like step back. They won sixty four games. They were really good, just right up until it just went to shit uh, in in the last few games against Dallas. I think my my first approach might be. How do we just make sure, first of all, convince Chris Paul to embrace load management? He's like the lone holdout among the older star players. And like, maybe it's, maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe it's a freak thing. But like, he clearly just broke down. And, and, and it, 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 he made it a long way, but it happened again. So I think you got to just, just find a point guard. Find a point. Campaign really disappointed me. Like, Campaign had an awesome year a couple years ago. He just, he was out of the rotation. I mean, Landry Shamit was playing point guard ahead of him, you know, in the rotation against Dallas after a while. So I think if you just like, we're going to, here he is again, Delon Wright. Like maybe you get him for the tax pyramid level. He can play back a point guard. He could play with Booker and Paul if you needed to play smaller and you go, you know, with bridges at the four and figure out what to do at center, take Crowder out, but you know, whatever. Like, I think, I think just someone who can give Chris Paul or two off a week uh you know so chris paul should play like 50 games next year just be on the full Kawhi plan and have someone who's going to be like fine and, and booker is a very good facilitator for a shooting guard he can take up some of that playmaking stuff you don't need you know prime isaiah thomas or whatever like you don't need just this ace point guard you just need someone that's you need your game manager right so paul is it just it may not it may not be possible at his age and with his mileage and his history but you just need someone that gives you like a 10% lower likelihood of Paul coming apart at, at the end of the season. And maybe that's all it takes. Cause this team was great during the year and they looked very good through the first two games against Dallas. They were up 2 Oh, like it just, you know, I think they're you, the other way. So I'm looking at it as they're not that far off, right? This team had something great for a very long time and then it lost it. And so just don't lose it next year. That, and, and maybe it takes a small change to do that. I think it's fair. Where I'm coming from is where I once thought that an Eric Gordon or a Karis LeVert like made the difference. I feel like the gap might be bigger. And that's not just on can Chris Paul still be your number, even if you want to call him the 1B because of the stuff he did in crunch time. It's I, did we see enough offensive development this year from DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson, Mikael Bridges to make you feel confident in standing pat or making more of the negligible moves? Maybe I'm getting caught up I just scolded people for saying, like, for <laughs> spouting their hot takes off of one series. Maybe I am getting caught up in the moment. The Suns were my title pick from the preseason. They were my title pick. Uh, I feel like that gap is larger than I thought it was now after watching that Mavericks series. And again, maybe that's me just reading too far into the moment. Um, 
And I'm just curious whether they'll even be open to making sort of a bigger move. I think it's very clear they don't want to pay Aiton, and it's been clear for a while. I just don't know if he's the ingredient that's going to, you know, get you that player that you need or that level of move. Uh, I do think this needs to be probably more of an active offseason on their part than we saw the year before. And even especially, you know, definitely more active than they were at the trade deadline this year, where it was just, oh, we're going to bring back Tory Craig. Hey, what's up? That's fine. Uh, I think whatever primary move they make needs to be substantially bigger than that type of on the margins tinkering. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of, you, you may be right. Because look, like, Chris, Chris Paul's going to be a year older. So the, the gap is only, you know, the, the, the need for someone to really make a difference is only growing, right? It's not going to get smaller. The odds of him getting hurt or breaking down are only going to climb. So yeah, the tinkering may just be like, I don't know, my, my risk aversion <laughs> or something. Grant, can you tell our listeners where they can find you and all the great work that you do? Yes, you can uh, read what I write about the NBA at uh, on Bleacher Report, um, a lot of uh, free agency and offseason stuff coming up. Uh, also, some playoff stuff, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at gt underscore hughes. And you'll be able to get a notification that Grant Hughes tweeted for the first time in a while when when he actually uses it. This was great. Thank you so much, as always. I think as you know by now, I'll be pestering you again in the future, and I appreciate you doing the. I guess it would be a road and road because it wasn't really a home and home. But thank you for recording back to back podcasts with us. And and thank you for helping me get the alphabet right. <laughs>